One of the most helpful things I learned is that I'm not alone. You're not alone. And as we open up to the right people, we'll see our communities grow bigger and stronger. If you find this video helpful, please support us by liking and subscribing. And if you know someone this video can help, please pass it their way. My mission is to help make the world a safer place by sharing with you the stories that saved me. So we met back in our 20s. We were party friends. I remember the first time I walked into a party and I saw you, I was like, that's Alpha. And like every single time after that, I was like, yeah, like you were the it person. You were the one that like everyone was attracted to and life of the party. You had the drugs. <laughs> you had, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you yeah. just, you just, you looked so confident. You looked like you had everything going for you. But you tell me that the reason why you had that facade, I guess we can say, mm -hmm. is because you didn't feel accepted. Yeah, yeah. So what, it, it, it blows my mind because to me you were, you, you were so accepted. And so what, why didn't you feel accepted? Like, what was it? Well, when you met me at that time, I was creating um, a space that felt like acceptance. Um, but it really, it's like everything reverts back to childhood trauma, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, we'll go back there. Um, I don't know how, like where the discovery was made, but probably, probably in therapy. Um, but I knew very, very early, and it's different for everyone, but I knew very early um, that I was a lesbian. I didn't, even, I didn't know that's what it was called. Right. Um, but I remember clearly at the age of five being in um, Brooklyn, New York at my nonu's house. Who knows why we were there um, visiting maybe Sunday dinner. And uh, I was watching on like a, probably a black and white television, um, one, an episode from the first season of Power Rangers. And um, I was probably in a skirt that I hated. Um, <laughs> And my hair was probably crazy because it had a headband in it that I tore out and like pff, slingshotted. Um, and I was watching these Power Rangers, right, do their thing, learning the characters, um, like, totally sucked into the show. And by the end of it, I just remember thinking and feeling like, I love the pink Power Ranger. I want to be with her and I want to be whatever Ranger, I don't know, Power Ranger fans will probably correct me on this. I don't know, maybe it wasn't the first season. It was either the Green, or the, probably the Green Ranger, um, because but, I could pick up on the romance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, if my sister was watching this, she would want to be the Pink Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> and be with the Green Ranger, and that's not how I'm feeling. So, um, and there was nothing at the time that like that I was able to draw any conclusions other than like that's not right. This mm -hmm. is not right you're not right. You shouldn't feel that way. Mm. Um, and then like, you know, you, as a, as a kid, you're exposed to a lot of things. So, um, watch like movies are so sexualized. Um, and you just like, in, we're talking the nineties, like yeah. there's no homosexual representation in film. No. So you're, um, I was just, you know, while I was growing up, maturing, continuously um, exposed to like heterosexuality in a sexualized nature because there's there's so much sex in film. So anytime I would watch a movie with my parents, it was like just a reinforcement of like you are not right, you're not thinking right, you're not feeling right. You just this is not correct. Mm -hmm. um, so that translated um, into puberty and then dating. Um, I tried a couple of times to to date, right? I had, I had a handful of boyfriends, um, and it just, it, it never got anywhere, right? Like I, I was just like this, it got to a point where once I was accepted by them, it was like hitting a brick wall. Mm. Like once it was like, okay, like, you know, you had your first kiss, you go on dates, they call you all the time, they text you all the time, um, they tell you they love you, and then it was like, oh, now what? <laughs> Do you want to say it back? Yeah, um, and I won't shout him out, but <laughs> my last boyfriend, um, I was 
15, I think. And I remember just thinking like, it's time to, um, it's time to lose my virginity. Like I'm, I'm ready to have sex. And I was ready to have sex. I think at 15, I was not ready to have sex with him. Mm. Um, and right up until the very moment, like I was like, Oh, I think I hear my mom calling. (laughs) 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 So, um, and I mean, he was really, he was really cool. Um, I felt terrible at the time, right? Like not only are we not actually going to have sex, I'm actually going to break up with you. And I think my best friend did it for me. Um, and at at that point it was just like, okay, like I'm not going to continue to do this. Um, and then high school, you know, there's, was, I think one girl that was out. No one was out. That was a male. Like no no one was out as gay. Um, and then I went to college and that's where we met. And I went to an all girls, small private college. And, um, I was using drugs recreationally at that point but by my first year of college it was more than recreational like right right in the beginning when I moved in like but like per preseason before we even started classes I found this girl and I was like you live here cool like do you where do you get the pot like how do you get high right and she hooked me up with this guy and it was like that's just where it all began most of the people that go to Cedar Crest College aren't going for like a party experience um okay. like the, it's just it's like there's Lehigh yeah right, yeah, right next door. There's Muhlenberg. There's bigger colleges. Um, yeah. So I stood out, and um, I was I was ex- I stood out, but I was accepted, and I liked that. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was just something that I created by accident, you know, like being high even in, in high school, um, drinking with my family in high school, because that's more of a cultural thing, right? Like my um, everyone's an immigrant, but like my my family's first generation, right? My my um, Mom's family came from Italy, and they're really big on uh, wine. My nun used to make his own wine, so I probably tasted liquor as early as like two. Mm-hmm. Used to soak peaches in his wine. Yeah. Um, and I probably got drunk for the first time when I was like eleven or twelve at a party on my dad's side. They're Puerto Rican, and there's just beer right yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Like no one's, uh, you know, really supervising. You know, God, don't call CYS, but like, you know, <laughs> like, it's just kind of it's the way it was. So. I was comfortable in that already culturally. It wasn't like, you know, um, I don't know what cultures I can identify this with, but, but it wasn't those parents that were like, you know, can't drink till you're 21 and, and um, sheltered us in any way. It was, mm-hmm. it was really part of the culture. So it was a place I was comfortable and I expanded from that. Um, and it became a, a place that was like my superpower. Mm-hmm. Drugs became like, my, like the stool that I could stand on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and it, it gave me a lot of, um, it gave me a lot of power. So you got two different highs. Yeah. You absolutely. got the high from like being high and also just being high and mighty. Uh, yeah. So this high mm-hmm. took a turn. Yes. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to give you a timeline, I, I was using, I was an at risk user what we call an at-risk user, um, probably from age 14 to 26, maybe 25, uh, 26 started to get like turbulent. Um, so that was actually a pretty long run to be in, like, I was really, I was functioning well. I was able to put down, um, any drug I was doing. And, and, and that included, I mean, honestly, in that decade, uh, everything besides heroin. Um, so anything that I could get my hands on at a party, um, I really liked ecstasy. Um, I could do ecstasy all weekend and then sleep for a day and go right back to like nine to five, go back to work, go back to school, go back to sports. Um, I felt like, and this sounds kind of like catch 22 or like a really just a contradictory statement. Like I felt like I respected drugs we had a respectable relationship. Yeah. I knew that it wasn't something like it, it was out of reach to think that I could do them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a time and a place. And when it was time, it was go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And when it was not, it's done till the next time. Yeah. So, um, I started dating this girl. Well, before I started dating her, we, we went out, um, to a bar with my friends and that night I was already, you know, it was a weekend. So it was go time. Yeah. Uh, I was already 
uh, doing like cocaine with this guy that I, I met a couple weeks before um, at Stonewall. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he came out with us, you know, yeah. the, the next weekend or so, and uh, it was free cocaine. So I was like, yeah. Um, so it was a couple drinks in, a couple lines of cocaine, and this girl was like, you know, this is how I remember it. I don't know if it went down this way, but I remember her saying like, remember that thing you said you like? And I remember when we talked, it was ecstasy. And I'm like, yeah, I remember that thing. And she's like, I have some, you wanna to go to the car? I'm like, okay. So I go to the car and uh, easy bait, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, she pulls out, a, I think it was Whitney Houston CD case. And um, there was like a little line and I'm like, Never had E like that before. And I was like, what, you know, what'd you say this was? And she's like, you know, it's speed. And I'm like, speed, what do you mean? Like Coke? She's like, no, 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 like speed. And I'm like, be a little more specific. And she, like, I could tell in the energy, like she didn't want to say it. Like she knew it was like a damned word. Mm. And she's like, it's, it's crystal. Like it's meth. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's not what I said I've done. <laughs> I'm like, that's definitely not what I, she's like, oh, I could have sworn. And after we got through like that, and I was just like, well, like, you know, right back to my normal, like free drugs. And I was like, so what's it like? She yeah. said, it's like cocaine, but longer. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> so um, I did my first line of meth and I got at, by the time I did the line, got over the drip, which by the way is horrendous. Um, got out of the car. It had to be 90 seconds or less. Lit a cigarette, sort of walking back to the club. And... I was just um, transported to another realm of whatever you, as a child, you think the afterlife is like, I was in it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had died, gone to heaven, and I was just like, where have you been? Yeah. Um, and how long did that last? Hours. Oh, shit. Hours. Um, it was the first time after getting high, that when I came down, I was uh, worried that I wasn't going to get more. Mm. Um, and I've never, I've done a lot, like up until that point, I had done a lot of drugs that I loved. And then like when it was time to come down and go nap, you know, I was like, all right guys, see you in the morning, you know, great, great night. And this, I just stayed up in bed at my friend's house and was like, I don't feel it anymore. You know, I, I want to still feel it. Yeah. Um, and I remember asking her, like, can we just, like, go get more? <laughs> she's like, I mean, I don't have any more, but, like, maybe, you know, we get back together again. So, okay. So, so really, long story short with that, we ended up dating. And in the beginning, probably for the first uh, two or three months, we only did it on the weekends. Um, and I was still kind of able to, like, it was almost like, like, if I'm good Monday through Friday, I know that I could go have this amazing, you know, uh, meth trip. It's going to, one, two lines are going to last me, you know, eight, 10 hours. I'm going to feel amazing. Yeah. Um, and I did that for a few weeks and then, um, you know, lesbians, uh, weekends turned into weeks, right? And that was just in a couple months. <laughs> yeah, no, literally. Yeah. So, so by this, Sec the end of the second month or the beginning of the third month, um, it was not just the weekends anymore. I stayed there for a prolonged period of time. And I remember the day, and she does too. We talked about this before. Um, she's like, I remember the moment that like we both could have made a better decision. And we didn't. Um, we were up for two days. So this was the third, two nights, third day. And, and that was something I'd done before. Like now it's day three. Now it's time to like turn off. Um, and I was like, all right, like, I'm going to roll up a blunt. Let's like go to sleep. And she said, uh, yeah, or we could get another bag. And I remember like, just being like, wow, really? Like you would, I'm tired. My body kind of hurts. Like you don't want to go to sleep and like eat something. And, uh, <laughs> truly. Right. And she's like, no, no. Um, I mean, I can, but I could also do another bag. And I said to her, I looked her dead in her face and I was like, this is how people become addicts. Like, oh. you, mm -hmm. three days now? Like, that's, we should probably do something else <laughs> besides yeah. get high. Yeah. Um, so you were, and you were. I, I was very conscious. Yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, conscious of the decision. And, but, I, you know, free will. I was like, let's get another bag. Uh -huh. 
And that was absolutely like the last stop at the top. Oh. Um, and then from there, things just uh, not quickly because I was I was in grad school. Yeah. Um, so I was doing clinical. So at first, you know, I was amazing. I was getting stuff done. Um, you know, now I wasn't just using on the weekends. I was using during the week too. So I was flying through homework. I was a straight A student. Like I was still functioning. And in my brain thinking, I'm, I'm still just like an at-risk user. And then fast forward, um, one of my classes, we were going over the DSM criteria for addiction and going over all the, you know, the, the brain functions, the, um, uh, you know, how it affects um, your amygdala and, and just the whole feedback system of how addiction affects the brain and, and why people stay addicted. Yeah. Um, and I was like, <laughs> this, this really hits home. Like I, I'm feeling this. Um, and I was sitting in my bed, just like listening to this lecture, like, um, yeah, yeah, I'm an addict. I'm, I probably need some help. Mm. Um, so like any addict, I was not ready to give up right away. Um, and I, what did I do first? I white knuckled it first. Uh, probably waited for the end of the semester because there was no way I was going to get clean uh, in the middle of the semester. So, so probably sometime like on a break. Um, I stopped using and I went about four months. I went out. I remember we like went out and bought bicycles at Walmart. We were like, whenever we want to get high, we're just going to bike. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you, you both were trying to clean. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were. Um, and because there was a lot of other shit going on too. I mean, she had three kids. One was was um, away in a treatment facility. Um, and the other was young. He was five at the time. So like, there was a lot of moving parts. So it was more than just me and like school. Like, uh, but I, I definitely was the one that was like, this is an issue, mm -hmm. right? Um, and and luckily she was like, yeah, like I'll okay, let's try and get clean. Yeah. So. That lasted for about four months, and then in the middle of my next semester, I remember thinking, I'm just going to use this weekend, because I'm really stressed. I have this big project. I'm just going to use this weekend, and then I'll be good. When you say clean, you didn't do anything, or you just didn't uh, do No, I just didn't do meth. I was still <sighs> smoking. I was definitely using cannabis. And um, was I drinking? I, probably periodically. Okay. Probably periodically. That weekend turned into uh, somewhere around six months straight. Every uh, day? Every day, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think the hardest part now, or, or may, no, one of the things that made it so hard um, was that I was so good at hiding it. Mm. Or, you know, like, I still saw my family. Like, the, the biggest concern I had was, like, you're really losing weight. And I'm like, yeah, you know me, I'm active. <laughs> so no and it was gradual so no one really saw so I was still functioning um but I was miserable I wanted um I wanted to die like at, at at this point in my life in in the active addiction I would wake up and it was either on my person to use the moment I, I woke up or um in the room somewhere hidden right um so I don't know what your thoughts are when you wake up every morning but like, as I was coming to consciousness, it was like, we're the drugs. Mm. And that was just what I woke up to always. Um, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't brush my teeth. I wouldn't go to the bathroom before I cut up a line. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I couldn't function. And how many so, times were you doing a line in a so, day now? So in the, yeah, in the beginning, it was like one or two a day. would last all day. Yeah. Um, after a year, year and a half, uh, I started smoking it too, so uh, maybe six or seven lines, couple, couple bowls and a tin foil. I mean, I was probably using every, like I was using it like cocaine every hour and a half, two hours. Wow. Um, so what would last, you know, meth is pretty cheap. So what would last a day was like, you know, I could get two or three days out of 20, I could get a whole weekend out of 20 bucks in the beginning. And I would spend like 20 to $30 in a day towards the end. So it went up probably, you know, about four times as much as, as I was in the beginning, three or four times. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was, it was miserable. It became, it went from being, you know, remember if you go back to that moment of like, 
this is what heaven is, <laughs> right? Um, to I am living in hell. Like a couple times I found myself on the floor just thinking like, this is not who I was meant to be. Like mm. I am not an addict, like I'm an addict, but like I was not put here to be an addict that like goes down this path of whatever it is, whether it's, you know, death, institutions, jail, like I'm not that person. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was just as uncomfortable to be in addiction as it was to live a life that was like not at all. And I, I don't know anyone that thinks to myself or to the, their selves, like, like I'm meant to be an addict, but some people I, I do believe accept that mm -hmm. and they, they sit in it long enough or longer because they're willing to accept it. And yeah. I just like, fuck it, I could not. Like once I was on that hamster wheel, it was um, a lot of self-loathing. Like how could you have fucking done this? Right? Like how did you do this to yourself? Mm -hmm. How did you get here? Um, get yourself out. Like there was a lot of like, you stupid son of a bitch, right? <laughs> like what are you gonna do now? Yeah. Um, so I got a therapist. So she really, uh, she helped me work at my pace. I still wasn't ready um, to do what I needed to do. You know, I tried everything. I was like, I, what, what about an intensive outpatient? And she was like, yeah, you could do that. But in my experience, rehab, rehab. just do it. Do it and get it done with. Like, what, what's your resistance? So we worked through a lot of the resistance of like, I have to tell my family. I can't just disappear for 30 days. I have to let it out. Mm -hmm. People are gonna know. Yeah. And like, no one knows. Like me, God, whoever they are, right? And and my partner and my drug dealer. Like that's it. No one knows. Yeah. Um, so working through that was the the biggest goal in the therapeutic process. And then once we were able to get past that, um, and I relapsed. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say relapsed. I, I really I can't remember honestly the the timeline. I'm pretty sure I white knuckled it. It was clean four months before I, I met her. Um, it, they might have overlapped a bit, but, you know, I was, I was clean enough in the times that I, like, I never went to a session high, I don't think, but that's not saying much because, you know, we met in, like, the morning, so I probably got up, went to go see her, and then used, I, I actually remember a couple times using in the car when I would leave, um, so, I mean, I, I was, I was still pretty bad off, and then, you know, so, so we got over that hump, um, I went to rehab, I went to rehab because I truly believe that when, when you, you know, the, the laws of attraction, when you are looking for something and you have intent to do something and you believe it and you can see it and you can hit it with all your senses besides touch it, um, it will come. Mm -hmm. So it was very shortly after I was like, okay, I think I'll think about rehab. <laughs> um, that I, I was at home visiting my parents um, on Facebook and uh, came across a post from Phil O'Hara, a guy I went to high school with, wrestler, uh, recovering heroin addict. And he was talking at, I don't know if it was our high school or some other high school about um, the rehab he works for, his experience um, with drugs and addiction and uh, like how like, you know, we can help. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right. Yeah. That's really convenient. Yeah. <laughs> Someone that I can call, right? I don't yeah. have to go through this mess. Cause that's also another thing is I think access to healthcare is a really, um, hard thing to navigate for some people. For a lot of people. Yeah. It, it's, it's just, it's just hard. It, it's it, on purpose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it, an it's institutional a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a money thing too, I think. Oh, it's that, yeah. So I had a, a, someone I could call that I knew not the back of my insurance card. Um, so I call, I, I messaged him on Facebook and said, you know, I, do you think you could help me? I told him what was going on. He fucking, he was like, call me. Um, and this is not someone that I was like really close with. I mean, we, we chatted here and there. He dated one of my friends. Um, and he was just, he was ready for it. Like he was there. He, uh, he came through for me and got my insurance card and was like, well, you know, are you ready to go? Like, like a couple days and I was like oh I gotta like do a few things um, it's never <laughs> the right time to go to rehab no. No. no but you know that's the idea right like what and, and I I get the mentality like and I think I think I hate to say it this is like such a terrible thing 
because I don't know, I'm not a heroin addict, um, but I am an addict, right? So I think with certain drugs, especially those that, you know, you're, you're higher risk of, of overdose and, and, and like dying. With things like heroin, um, when a heroin addict is like, I'm ready for treatment, it, it's imperative for their safety. Like, it's just a higher risk of, of safety, right? Like, just, it just, the acuity is different. Um, unless I get a bad batch, like, there's just less risk of me overdosing on meth, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so when a heroin addict is like, I'm ready for treatment, like, yes, like, you, like now, we'll pick you up now mm-hmm. because the next hit could kill you, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, like, I, and I was kind of minimizing it. I was like, dude, like, it's just meth. And he was like, <laughs> Jess, like, are you ready or not? And I'm like, I gotta get through the semester, you know? Um, so, so I did, I, I, you know, they pushed, I pulled, and I, I promised, I said, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be reaching out if I wasn't ready to go. Um, I just, I'm not gonna lose credit for the semester. Like, work with me. Like, I need two more weeks to finish this clinical. Okay. Right? Because, I, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it worked out. But I, I could see from his perspective, like, you know. Yeah. yeah. So they gave me the two weeks. I went out. Um, it was a transformative experience. Um, and not right away. Anyone that's thinking about going to rehab, um, it's not going to be right away. <laughs> You're not going to be like, oh, my God, I feel so great. Uh, this is the best decision ever. It was somewhere probably week two where I was like, this is where I, I need to be. What does um, week one into week two feel like? Well, week one, they made me go to detox um, because, you know, not like there's really a detox for meth. You just need to sleep and eat. Um, you're not ready for treatment when you're detoxing, no matter what it's from, right? Like mm-hmm. you're miserable. You're not going to absorb anything so I went to a place where that's what you did you slept and ate there was food all the time Uh, you could smoke whenever you wanted Uh, it was out in cigarettes or weed no no cigarettes this is a different time (laughs) cigarettes cigarettes Cigarettes. there's a little courtyard um, because you know they they kept you policed in but like they gave you the idea that the the facade that it was like vacation (laughs) you can get out Um, so there was like a nice little courtyard. You could, you know, 24 seven, you can go out, you could smoke. Um, but you basically showered. Uh, there was some programming, not a lot. A couple people came from like NAAA to, to chat with us. There were massages every now and again. Um, it was like a little mini vacay. Um, and you know, still torturous for you. Um, no, because I told them, which was true. I told them during my interview, they were like, do you, you know, what are the drugs you use? And I was like, oh, like, I'm here for meth. And they're like, yeah, but I need to know everything you use. And I'm like, well, I drink, I smoke. And they're like, well, how much do you drink? So we get to the point and they're like, we want to put you on an Ativan taper because, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, I mean, I'm probably going to be asleep through it. And I was, I actually, uh-huh. like my second day, I fell out of bed and I ended up there. I was like, can we hold the Ativan? <laughs> uh, I just, I woke up and the next thing I knew I was on the floor. Um, and I'm like, I don't need that. I'm, I'm just sleeping. Um, so it really wasn't that bad. Uh, I think for, for other dr- for alcohol detox, for heroin detox, things like that, um, it is torture. I did see a guy go through um, heroin withdrawal from, from Hazlitt actually. Uh, he met us at the rehab. And for some reason, so I went to a week of detox and then um, the actual rehab for treatment. This guy, I don't know if it was an insurance thing. He was on a scholarship. He didn't have time, not a whole week anyway, to go through the detox. So he was detoxing at the treatment facility, which was just a giant house in Florida. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have Suboxone right away. So it was like two days of, he was, I, I don't even know how to describe, like I just, I wanted to hug him. Yeah. You know, he was having a hard, hard time. Um, so it's not like that. You're just tired, hungry, and depressed. On meth. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, like, what did I have to be depressed about? Like, I, like it felt like, oh, I don't have to do anything. Like, for a second, like, finally, I don't have school. I don't have to hide. Everyone knows. I don't have to think about whether I'm going to pick up or not. Like, it was, it was actually a pretty relieving feeling to be in detox because I was ready to go. So, so anyone wanting to go to rehab, mm-hmm. how's, yeah, tell me about the process and like the different types of rehab and mm-hmm. yeah, everything you can Yeah, do. yeah. Um, 
So there's so many. There's so many, especially after the um, the opiate epidemic took off. Like really, there's some rehab. Like there are a dime a dozen. Um, I think that there's a lot of ways to find your your way to rehab. Um, one, the easiest way, if you have uh, insurance, like like finding any other healthcare, you can always call the back of your insurance card um, and literally tell them you, you you need an inpatient rehab facility for drug and alcohol addiction. And they will give you all the providers around the area that your insurance covers. Um, and then you can Google search like anything else and look at reviews, uh, look at pictures of the place, find out, get kind of a feel of like where you're going. Um, kind of like looking up a restaurant, you know, it can be the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have insurance, um, I know working with Phil, he's had some people go to rehab on scholarship. Um, which is basically just money that they get from fundraising um, that they save for people that are serious about um, getting clean but mm-hmm. don't have any access to insurance or funds. How do you get Scott? Like, how do you? Scott, yeah. So, to the, you know, he is someone that would uh, answer this better. To the best of my knowledge, um, you know someone that knows someone that knows right. a facility, right. right? So, So because I was able to reach out directly to him, because he, you know, this is what he's doing. He's trying to, to outreach directly to the community, talk directly to students, you know, directly to people that maybe, because everyone knows at this point someone who's either in active addiction or was. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he can't be everywhere, but um, having that connection was, was great. I had access to care at that point. Um, but you know, if you don't, um, I, I, I honestly would, like... You could start at an AA or NA, but I think it's it's dangerous to lead um, an addict to believe that if they're not an AA or NA, that they're not going to get well. You need to, they say, like, work the program, like, work it, it'll work for you. Um, but I'm not someone who needs this primarily as their form of, um, call it treatment. Um, I, I get that in, in other ways. And so, so it's just been, it's been off-putting for me because... I feel like most people have said it's worked for me, so it should work for you. Mm. And that's part of their motto, Mm -hmm. but they don't follow it up with, it's okay if it doesn't. And I think it's really important for people to know that it's okay if you are an addict and you go to AA and NA and it doesn't work for you. And there's nothing wrong with you if you can't keep coming back. Yeah. There might be another way. Mm -hmm. Um, It's all about those other ways. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's just not everyone is the same. Yeah. It works for a lot of people, but but not everyone is the same. Mm Um, so you would say try it. You would tell somebody. Hey, Absolutely. Try it. Yeah. If, if, they, if they're just starting out, um, it's super accessible. It's mm-hmm. free. Yeah. Um, so yes, it has so many, you know, I don't need to shit on it. It has so many perks. Um, <laughs> but like, if it doesn't work for you, you should not be, be meant to feel bad yeah. that you can't make that work. You should just, you know, go ahead and be an addict then. Like, no, there's so much other stuff. Yeah. So, um, for me, it was uh, give a big shout out. Um, I see a shaman regularly. So Jessica Tish, my, my therapist way back when, um, was an amazing resource. Um, and she's in AA. She's very big into it. But um, seeing her in the therapeutic environment, that's what I need. I need an individual. I, I don't want to be in a group format. I don't, like you said, I don't want to be acknowledged when I have, you know, six months clean or 90 days or whatever. Um, Sometimes I don't want to fucking talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, you know, I don't want to share. And not only do I not want to share, talk to people, sometimes I don't want to listen. Sometimes I just need someone to listen to me. And, and an hour meeting, there's not enough to hold all those needs. Mm-hmm. So in therapy, there is. Mm-hmm. You can show up and tell them what it is that you need and get that. So um, therapy was one. Another was, uh, was energy healing. Um, I started seeing, and this is another example of like when you ask for something, um, you will receive it. When you're serious about something, it, it will find you. Um, I remember thinking, I need something else. There's got to be something that someone hasn't told me about yet, or I just don't know about. And um, this, this woman, um, she's a psychologist. Uh, she worked with a friend of mine that went to school together. So I was introduced to her once out at a bar, <laughs> right, when I was still, you know, functioning. Um, and a couple years later I saw, you know, we were Facebook friends that she was offering like these really cheap, you know, half price energy healing sessions and they're 
anyone that's dealing with anything uh, mental health related, autoimmune, um, pain, uh, she can help. Give her a call. So I was like, this sounds like some like heebie-jeebie. Like, okay, I'm I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird enough. Yeah, I, like yeah. I'll try it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, and more, and I think she'll laugh if she hears this. More from a place of like. If you can help me with my addiction, like, there's no fucking way. Yeah. Like, I just got to call you on your bullshit. And if you can, like, 40 bucks. Cool, right? Yeah. So, um, she hit me hard. I, we've had a lot of sessions since then. I see her regularly, probably about once a month. Um, but that first session, there's a lot that I forget. That first session, I will always remember. Um, you know, laid on the table. You know, she uses, like, like, light touch sometimes. She doesn't have to touch you if you don't want her to. Um, but you lay on like a massage table. She uses crystals um, and she knows like 13 different energies. So she flows a lot of different energy. It's not like just Reiki or just one thing. Mm-hmm. And um, at the, towards the end of the session, um, she asked me, God, why are you so sad? And uh, I remember feeling this like, like if you can picture two metal doors just like shutting and locking. I felt that on like my body, like it didn't want to come out. Like I was just, I instantly closed myself off and was like, don't tell her, <laughs> you know? And, and I'm like, God, why, why am I so sad? And, um, and I answered my own question in my own head. And it was like, I don't have God. I have no higher power. I have nothing. I don't believe in anything. There's no purpose. Um, and I was like, I remember leaving there thinking like, okay, so she didn't fix my life. But, like, what a revelation. Like, I've never asked myself that. um, And I've never been able to answer such an intense question that easily. Um, Like, it was just such an odd, the environment, this person I don't really know, this question, like, this place in my life that I am. um, It was a lot at once. So it was enough to have me come back. And um, I can't say she alone is the reason why um, I'm clean. But I will tell you, uh, it's... The only wholesome, organic, holistic thing that makes me feel like I've just done ecstasy when I'm done, mm. right? Like I can walk out of a session um, and I see, hear, feel clearly. Um, it, it's just, it's, I, I can't explain it other than um, you should see for yourself. Like if, if you've never tried anything like it, um, and I'm big on, on research-based evidence-based practice yeah um but but this is something that i think uh we just don't look into enough um we don't research enough and it's it's got amazing benefits with zero side effects Mm -hmm. so energy healing any sort of holistic treatment like that and not with any energy healer just like anything else right um some doctors are crap some therapists (laughs) are crap yeah some energy healers are crap if you were going to go down that route absolutely look for someone that is reputable and that you have a referral from or call Dr. Alyssa Lindahl. So you'd say holistic healing, AA, NA, rehab. Yes. Talk therapy is also? 100%. Yeah. If you don't know where to go and you have access to care, um, just starting with a therapist, getting it, even if you only have a primary care provider, Mm -hmm. um, because it'll, it's, it like, uh, sets the stage. If you, if you have a relationship with your PCP and you can tell, you know, them I'm struggling with alcohol or I'm struggling with, with whatever drug it is, um, their job is to make your referral, Mm -hmm. right? So if you have someone in your life, um, where you can start with, uh, but their job is your health, then you can start there. If you don't, um, AANA is a great resource because um, you'll you, just networking with people like really realizing mm-hmm. that this is what I'm coming down to a big big idea one of the things I learned in um, the past so far in my recovery is you cannot do it by yourself mm-hmm. and if you try you it like there's not a lot of absolutes I don't I don't do a lot of like this all the time mm-hmm. right like it's going to be you cannot get clean on your own. Mm-hmm. If, if you are struggling, it is not something you're meant to do by yourself. And I, it, I bet my life on it. You just can't. You can't do it alone. There, there, need, there needs to be some level of support, some level of guidance. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's like a mathematic equation in, in some ways. Um, it's never going to add up 
to you finding um, peace, health, recovery, if you are stuck alone. Um, so I think one of the hardest things for most addicts to, the place for them to get to is accepting that they need help and help is not going to come from within. You can't, because that's what they've been doing. You've been self-medicating, whatever it is that you're medicating. It's not going to come from another hit and it's not going to come from your drug dealer, right? And it's not going to come from a toxic <laughs> relationship. Yeah. And it's not going to come from beating yourself up. Um, it's going to come from literally being submissive in, in, in a way. Um, it's a bad way to put it, but, but um, relinquishing control. I don't have control of this. That's the whole part of it, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I'm out of control and I need help. Yeah. So understanding that you're going to have to reach out and wherever you you find, you know, when you put your hand out, someone grabs it, like go, go there. Uh, but be, be willing to accept it. If you're willing to accept help, um, I can promise you it'll find you. Coming out about mm. being an addict, you said nobody knew. Your drug dealer, your partner, your, like, your ex at the time, and you. Yeah. That, tell me, yeah. That, that, that would, to me would be the scariest thing, is coming out and telling people, hey, I'm going to have to go away for a month because, <sighs> yeah. It is the scariest thing, yeah. You realize um, how isolated you are when like, that time comes. Um, actually, as you just said that, I was <laughs> realizing how, how alone uh, I must have been at the time because uh, you know, I'm a pretty extroverted person. Um, I'd like to be around people. I have a big family. We're very close. Uh, so having a very, very big secret like that, um, that affects, affected my life so much at that point is really isolating um, and very lonely. So yeah, I had to tell them before I could go to treatment because uh, when you have a big family and you're very close, you can't just disappear for a month. Mm -hmm. And I'm working. So, so I told work um, that I was doing research for school. So I didn't have to tell my job at the time, um, which really wasn't their, their business anyway. Um, you know, I was doing the right thing for myself. So like, I, what they knew or didn't know didn't really uh, hurt them. So I took a month off of, of work and it was just my family, really. Um, so that was the biggest holdup, actually. Now that I think about it, that's what took the longest to get work through to then take the step to find a date and go to, go to rehab. Um, I would say months. I probably talked about it with my therapist for at least two or three months. Um, and she made a really good point. Um, she was like leading me to water, but I wouldn't drink. Like I, I couldn't understand what she was like getting at. And then, you know, after waiting long enough, she kind of just like suggested, you know, is it possible you're so fearful of telling your parents or your family? Because once they know, gig is up. Like, you ha you're going to go away. And, you know, you're a bit of a perfectionist. You can't, can't mess up. Now they know. So it's like do or die. Yeah. Right? Like, once your family knows you're, you're an active addiction and you get help, you can no longer be an active user. Mm -hmm. um, there's no going back. Mm -hmm. So when she said that, um, I felt a little sick. I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's accurate. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. There's no going back. Um, you know, I've been living this way for, for so long. Um, it's about, it's like two, almost two years. Um, giving it up and feeling confident enough that I could give it up was the issue. So like, and, and it's hard to, to see that far into the future. Um, so, so, you know, I sat with that for a few weeks and um, she suggested that I write a letter if I wasn't going to be able to talk to them, which I was not going to be able to talk to them. And as a kid, whenever I had something really important to tell them or if I got in trouble and had to tell them or whatever, I'd always write them a letter. Um, Did you write them a letter when you came out? Um, my sister outed me. <laughs> oh. yeah. My sister out, and she, with the most amazing, loving intent. Okay. Um, th there's nothing malicious about her, but she outed me, and I did after that though communicate with them about it via a letter once or twice. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, heavy conversations usually were written down. And I think that was also because of the, the language barrier. Like my mom, her first language is Italian. Um, so she can speak English just fine, but really emotional, intense conversations are hard to have with someone who's very black and white mm-hmm. in terms of English, <laughs> right? Like, so um, this is a woman who I joke and I say she didn't even know what gay was, but like she really, she had, she knew like her hairdresser back when was gay, but like she really didn't know what it meant to be gay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we, we communicated via letters um, sometimes because that was the easiest way for me to get everything out without getting stuck um, and without them asking me a hundred questions. They could just, you know, refer back to the letter. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so I wrote the letter. Yeah. And um, then the next hump was giving it to them. I couldn't think of a good time or a good way to give it to them. I was like, I can't mail it to them. That's like so fucking impersonal. I can't <laughs> mail my parents a letter and I can't give it to them because if I give it to them, it's going to be something I have to talk about right away. And the whole point is I, I can't bring myself to talk about this. Um, it's just so much shame, right? Um, here they are thinking I'm going to grad school. I'm, you know, going to be the first doctor in the family, which I fucking love. Like, I'm like, you know, I'm not a doctor, right? Like, you can call me Dr. Sanchez, but I'm not a doctor. They're like, yeah, whatever, you're a doctor. Okay. So um, they're so proud of me, right? So this is like such a, such a, a it felt like I was just going to sucker punch them, right? Like, everything's great. You know, your, your kid's doing all these amazing things, but also um, they're a piece of shit. Right, and that's how I viewed myself at that point, mm-hmm. um, because I just felt like, well, I did this to myself. This is, these are my choices, my actions that led me down this path, and now I have to um, come clean to the two people that have just done everything in their power to, uh, to support me where I am. So, I got my, it's funny, we talked about my sister. She outed me, so I was like, who, who not better to give them the letter? <laughs> my sister um do you know this is hard for me to talk about um so I (laughs) I couldn't even tell my sister I texted her um explaining what I did and what I needed her to do and that everything was going to be okay and um she called me basically hysterical um she's a really emotional she's not emotional she's just an empathetic person um, she is an empath. She, she's my mother. Uh, so she called me just heartbroken and was like, do you know, what are you saying? Um, almost like, like, which is what I knew would happen. Um, how could you keep this from us? Not how could you keep it from us? Like, how could you, it was like, how could we not know that you're like, you know, you're hurting so bad. Hmm. Uh, and it was like, I'm like, this is why I need you to send them the letter because I can't do this seven times with seven different people. Um, you know, the seven being like my uncle and aunt, who I'm very close with, my, my parents, my brother, my sister, that, you know, the, the immediate family. Um, so after I like talked her off the ledge and was like, I'm, you know, I'm okay. This is great. You missed, you know, I tried to explain to her, like, you actually, um, this is a great place for me. You know, like I'm going to get like the worst of it's actually over. So you don't have to feel bad. Um, and I just need you to do this thing for me. So she naturally was like, you know, of course. Um, my sister told my parents and I don't know, <laughs> I probably repressed it. Cause I remember clearly talking to my aunt and I remember clearly the phone call of my sister. I really don't remember clearly the discussion with my parents. Um, I'm sure it involved a phone call because I, you know, we're states, we're a state away. I'm sure it involved my mom crying and me, the same thing, kind of, uh, talking her off the ledge. Like, I'm actually okay. This is a good place. Um, you know, and just feeling like, thank God it's over, (laughs) right? Like they know, and I can move forward. Um, and then it was game time. After that, it was like, well, now I just got to do what I said I'm going to do. And it really, it really wasn't as scary um, once the cat was out of the bag. Uh, 
because you know no one wants to make their family sad yeah like it's whether it's something that um you know you're doing good for yourself right even even with uh career choices right like yeah. when you do something that you know your parents don't want just no one wants to do that no one wants to make your parents worry sad yeah that's why coming out is so hard yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, it's right. So, so it's not something that I'm not uh, unfamiliar with. <laughs> yeah. Coming out was also a trip. Um, yeah, it's been hard. It's been hard communicating um, and being open with, with my family. And not, not because of uh, any personal reasons. Really, I think just the... Um, the disconnect in like generations and culture, right? Um, my dad, <laughs> remember my dad telling me that, uh, well, I'll actually, I'll follow the timeline. So I used to, before bed, I told you, I knew I was gay when, when I was five and before bed from the age of like five to maybe 11, my mom would tuck me in and um, I would struggle with this such anxiety about it because I wanted to tell someone and at that point my mom was my best friend right so like I could tell my mom and I'd be like mom I have something to tell you and she'd be like oh what is it and I'm like not tonight I'll tell you tonight <laughs> and my poor fucking mom she <laughs> lost nights of sleep she said she remembers this clearly if I bring it up now she's like oh my god you tortured me um she would go through the lineup is someone hurting you at school Aww. Right. Is some like she thought someone was abusing me in some way, and I wanted to tell her and couldn't. And she'd make me promise you promise no one's hurting you. No one told you to keep a secret. Like as much as my mom's disconnected from like this culture, mm. she fucking knew. <laughs> like mm. she was like, "What can't you tell me? Mm. Is someone telling you you can't tell me something? Is someone threatening you? Is someone touching you?" And like we would go every night. We yeah. would go through that lineup, and I would say no. She'd say, "You promise that's not what it is." Yeah. And I'm like, at that time, I was like, what? Because I'm seven, right? And I'm like, mm. no, no one's doing that. Yeah. And she's like, okay, you would tell me if that was it. Yeah. Yes, I would. And then I would go to sleep so confused, <laughs> right? Like, that's what she thinks I'm trying to say. She has no idea. <laughs> like, she really has. And that was even harder um, to compute, I think, as a kid. Because what I found to be so... Um, hard to wrap my head around, so scary, so wrong. My mom was thinking on a whole nother plane. Hurting kids is wrong, right? Like she, she safety, she's thinking safety and I'm thinking identity. <laughs> so um, I did that for years. And then when I was like 12, my mom was watching TV. I got this burst of energy, this burst of, of uh, confidence. And I went downstairs. She's like laying, like doing her. I've been working all day, made dinner, cleaned up, and now I'm watching the news. And uh, I said, Mom. She's like, yeah. I, said, I have something I got to tell you. I said, okay. I said, I like girls. And like half listening, she's like, what? I said, I like girls. And she said, okay. Yeah, you have lots of friends. Like, <laughs> and I looked at her like, is she fucking serious? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm still figuring out what my parents know and don't know at 12, right? Yeah. So I said, no, I like girls like I should like boys. Mm. And she looked at me dead in my face and just laughed. <laughs> Was that the language barrier thing, or was it... She, I think she just didn't know what to say. Oh. Um, so she just giggled and was like, what do you mean? And I ran upstairs. And... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, we've never talked about this, actually, and I wonder if she remembers it a different way. Because, um, you know, memory is a funny thing, too. But, yeah. but I ran upstairs, and... Um, I don't know if when I ran up, I was like, never mind. You're like, okay. <laughs> <That's what I laughs> <said>. <laughs> and uh, I just remember thinking like, um, not thinking, I remember feeling, how could you laugh at something that I have been tearing myself apart for like more than half my life now? Mm. Um, 
I was still, it was just this very confusing, no one even takes this seriously? Mm. Am I crazy? Mm -hmm. Like, it it wasn't hurt, like, how could you laugh at me? It was like, how could you laugh at my distress? Mm. Right? So, um, so then I just, I put it in a box and burned it <laughs> for three more years. Until your sister. <laughs> my sister, yeah. <laughs> so my sister was doing a project uh, for college and she had to interview somebody. Uh, she was going to school to be a teacher. And um, a school teacher. So she had to interview a kid about like stress, basically get to know like what teenagers are stressed about. And she was like, awesome, I have a teenage sister. So one of the questions was, um, about like, do you have a big secret that you wish you could tell someone or something like that? Mm-hmm. And like, I remember thinking like, fuck, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any other secrets. <laughs> so, uh, back to the writing, it was a really comfortable way, um, for me to, to express how I felt and my thought. So I was like, all right. So I wrote it out and said, yeah, I do, you know? Something along the lines of, my big secret is I'm a flaming homosexual. Um, I like girls, and I've always known it, and uh, I don't know how to tell my parents. And I sent it back to her, and then just like when I told her I was going to rehab, she called me (laughs) crying and was like, oh my God, why did you tell anyone? It's funny, now that I'm saying all this out loud, things are really cyclical. Um, She she was really uh, sad that... I've known this for so long and couldn't say anything about it. My sister accepts me a thousand percent. Um, She just has never, she's never even thinking in terms of like gender or sexuality. Um, She's probably the only person in my life uh, that just sees me as like her sister, Jess, you know, like, and it's, it's so weird because people don't mean to see you another way. Mm -hmm. Um, but just her, her, her role in my life and the person that she is has allowed her to make that decision really. Um, and she has, she's always just like, well, I'm always able to talk about it with her, but like, it's never a topic. Like she never cares. So she, she, I think I told her when I was like 14 or 15 and then about, uh, it, was, it was within the same year, so less than 12 months after that sometime. I was having a big fight with my parents. Who the hell knows about what? Um, and I know that I shared with my sister that I tried to tell my mom. And she laughed at me, and I'll never bring it up again. And somehow that translated in this huge fight. Um, I, like, slammed the door, and I was like, you guys are just, you're never listening or something. You don't, you don't hear me or whatever the hell we were arguing about. And my dad like came down cause he, I'll tell you, we didn't upset my dad very often and he wasn't home a lot. He worked a lot. Um, but if he was upset, like mm-hmm. he needed to do what he said, mm-hmm. um, his voice was booming enough. Right. So he came to my door and was like, you know, you need to open this door right now. Um, and I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not fucking doing it. And You're looking my, out your window like, how do I get out of here? Yeah. Uh, so my sister said, um, maybe if you listened, like she just like one upped it, right? Maybe if you listened, you would know what was really bothering her. Um, she's been trying to talk to you. And my mom from like in the kitchen was like, what? You know, cause you never hear anything, right? What, what, what? Yeah. But the little thing my sister said, she was like, what? What does she have to tell us? Um, and that was it. Like the door opened and my sister was like, Aww. tell them like they're, they're listening, like tell them. Um, and to this day, I don't know if I told them or my sister told them, but I know she started the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and I don't even know, I don't remember really what happened after that. Nothing huge. Um, they probably needed to process it. Like, I don't remember my parents ever prosecuting me for, for being gay. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely said things like, we will always love you and accept you, but... Mm. And I realized in, in rehab that that was very damaging because all I heard was but no one else will. 
right? Like so, so that was uh, that was huge. They were always they came from a place of love. It was always like, um, you're you're our daughter. We love and accept you always. You can dress who you, how you want. You can date who you want, but when you go out in the real world, you can't. You will be judged. You yes, you won't get jobs. You you will, not be you will be yeah yeah. And it was this underlying. Only we can love you as you are. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> only, a, only a face a mother could love, right? Like only a child a parent could love. And it was really, you know, they didn't, again, it, no fault of their own. They were trying their best because from where they come from, you can't. So my mom grew up on a farm in Italy. Mm-hmm. They were doing arranged marriages. Mm. It was her truth. If she tried to tell her parents she was gay, they, they would be, they, you know, you marry to survive there. Yeah. You would, you would, it's okay, I'm okay. (laughs) You would not make it. Mm -hmm. Um, No one else would accept you. No one would be like, oh, you're gay? We'll find you one of my daughters then instead. Like, that wouldn't (laughs) happen. So, and my dad came from a, a, you know, Brooklyn, from a place where if you're gay, he only knew gay men, um, you get your ass beat. Yeah. And gay women are, you know, something to be toyed with, not to take seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, So... They were speaking from their own experience. Yeah. And it was, it was a very um, well-intended, unloving message. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, we're going to accept you, but no one else is going to. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I spent the rest of my life showing them that they would. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, from, from, from age, it was like 15, 15 on, um, that was the message. We need to, we, we love you. Um, but we need to also protect you. So I know for a long time what killed me up until my first job. So from 15 to uh, when I started working at Kids Peace. So I was 21 or 22 at the time. Um, we always argued about how I dressed. You're going to send the wrong message. Mm. Well, It's not the wrong message. It's who I am. Mm-hmm. You can't dress like that. So it was this underlying message that you can't be who you are. Stop it. And that probably helped you not accept yourself. Yeah, 100%. You're in the shot. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is actually like the cutest shot in the world if, <laughs> if the camera's getting all of this. Yeah, yeah. I almost want to get my phone Babies. and just take a picture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, with loving intent, it was uh, definitely the foundation of... Um, only my parents are going to love me mm-hmm. for exactly who I am because they're my parents and they have to. Yeah. And they will. Not that they just that they have to, but they, they're, it's also who they are. Mm-hmm. But like no one else is my parent. No one else will do that. So I got to figure out. I got to be a drug that. lord. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I got I to find something else besides myself that people will love. Yeah. yeah. So I could be the life of the party. I could make you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I, can make you get, I can get you high. Yeah. Yeah. So I found the... The easiest, that was the easiest way at the time. Yeah. How to, how to be great, be loved. Who, mm-hmm. who, how are you going to love me? Mm-hmm. What I got, definitely not who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So do you accept yourself now? Much more than I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ongoing process, but exponential. Right, exponential speed and growth. Um, my whole life has, has changed following getting treatment. And uh, a big part of that is, um, or was, accepting who I was, where I was, um, identifying my insecurities and not running from them. Um, and like being willing to show up every day as I am and getting comfortable with that Um, or getting comfortable in the discomfort and like, isn't that acceptance, right? Getting comfortable with discomfort and being okay with it. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it's a probably going to be a lifelong thing for me. I don't know what full acceptance looks or feels like. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but it feels so much better now. You know, it's, um, I don't even know that I can like compartmentalize it. Uh, 
there was something really freeing about just telling a stranger I'm struggling, I'm sad, right? This is where I'm at. Um, I'm making myself feel better by doing these terrible things and I'm actually feeling worse. Help me where I'm at. Because there's a, a real level of acceptance that you have to find to be able to even move forward when you find yourself on the floor. If you can't accept where you are, you, you can't get help anyway. Mm. So, um, right, like you had to be in a place, I had to be in a place where I was willing to accept how bad off I was and that I couldn't <laughs> do it on my own. Uh-huh. And um, that was empowering because if I can accept that, I can accept some other things about me, like that I'm never going to be taller than five, two and a half. <laughs> right? Um, I, I can I can accept that um, I'm not going to have a traditional marriage or family. Um, can I accept it? Like, because if I can, other people can. Then you know, I shouldn't say other people can, but if I can accept it, then it won't matter what other, other people, people do or yeah. don't. So, um, can I accept that I'm going down uh, a career path that? helps people, uh, gives guidance, support, actual medical treatment intervention, but also have been in a position where uh, I contradicted all the things that I knew. Can I accept that? I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't be here, right, if I couldn't, but, but, but these little things um, that turned into uh, major mountains, overcoming major mountains. So yeah, I think, I think I'm in a place of overwhelming acceptance compared to five years ago.